0: Hello, welcome to Stages. I'm your host, Peter Ayers, and I wanted to start this episode by sharing some exciting information. The Stages podcast will record live in Sydney for the very first time as part of the Ideas program at the 2022 Vivid Festival. Engaging and informative, the show is a vital chronicle of oral histories from Australia's rich arts heritage. The podcast has featured 285 conversations thus far with creative artists and performers from a range of performing arts disciplines. This three-series event at Vivid will celebrate the contribution of three key elements vital to the art of telling stories. On Thursday, June 2nd, my guest will be producer Carmen Pavlovich. Thursday, June 9th, we welcome costume designers Jennifer Irwin and Julie Lynch, And the series is completed on Thursday, June 16th, when our guest is the Artistic Director of the Griffin Theatre Company, Declan Green. Tickets are free, and to register, just visit the Vivid website and search for Stages Live. There are going to be three fantastic conversations, and it'll be great to have you in the audience, watching Stages on stage. We look forward to your company. And now, here's today's episode. In this Stages Spotlight episode, we revisit a conversation from January 2019 with Caroline O'Connor. Caroline is considered to be one of the foremost interpreters of musical theatre in the world. Projects have taken her from Sydney to Paris to London and the bright lights of Broadway in a vast array of leading roles that are coveted by musical theatre performers at their peak. She's interpreted the works of Sondheim, Bernstein, Jerry Herman, Kandra Julie Stein, and Hands and Flattery, indicating a versatility that demands an appreciation of style and technical dexterity. Caroline O'Connor was a guest of stages in our second season. Tonight, she appears in Brisbane in the role of Ros Keith in the Dolly Parton musical Nine to Five. The show continues after Brisbane with seasons in Melbourne and Adelaide. Chalkers to Caroline and the company of Nine to Five, and welcome back to Caroline in this stage's Conversation Revisited. Caroline O'Connor is considered to be one of the foremost interpreters of musical theatre in the world. At 17, she won a scholarship to the prestigious Royal Ballet School in London. The discipline and routine of such classes instilled in her a fierce work ethic that allows her characterisations to be delivered with boundless energy, masterful timing, consummate skill and infinite joy. Her range is impressive, as seen by the varied and insightful performances she has given in an extensive career. Val Kelly, Mrs Lovett, Fanny Bryce, Mabel Norman and Countess Lily malevsky malevich just to name a few. In 1997, I saw a production of Chicago, in which she played Val McCallie in Australia. I wrote her a fan letter, and to my delight, she wrote back. So, I started the interview by presenting her with the letter that she returned to me. Can I start by showing you something?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> God. God look young out there. That's an old pic, though. Oh, that's so adorable.
0: So, I would just graduated from WAPA, I think, in '96, and... Was just like blown over. Where did that Well, that must from? have been out of the program. I know,
2: but I've never seen that one before. That's an unusual one. Right.
0: I think I said to you, if I was a producer, I would do Funny Girl. Look.
2: I wonder if I've still got the letter, because I have over the years kept a lot of letters and cards, surprisingly. A bit like my mum. I have. A lot. Uh, because I, and I used to keep a lot of scrapbooks in the early days. I just loved it. Like, um... If I had a photo album, and if someone sent me flowers, you know, the little card that comes with the flowers, it would be they'd be scattered within the photo album of of you know. All oh, right, so
0: an opening up flowers or something. Yeah, yeah the, the little the cards person, so. would go
2: w- between the the photographs, uh, you know, of the particular show Joe. I was, doing. It was a very anally retentive in the early days, you know, and also because I wanted my mum and dad to experience and see everything because I was living overseas, and so. Yeah, but not so much now. It just got it got too much. Well, you know, it, well, I couldn't keep up with it and anymore. And where, where do you store them? Yeah, you exactly. Um, I mean, I mean, you can't have everything. Where would you put it? No. So. <laughs> and, and look, you probably
0: would return to that album 15 years down the track. You'd look at it once, have and a then, great time. Yes. But then what?
2: I've got all my parents' al- uh, photo albums now. That was the first thing I collected from my mother's house after she passed. And I'm thinking to myself now, I can't remember the last time any of us really looked at those photo albums. And, and I think that i just don't know I the just best think, memories
0: are in your head aren't they
2: i think so yeah. i think so and this has been a real awakening for me like that we've got two lofts one in our home in england and one in sydney full of stuff and old scripts and programs and memorabilia and christmas decorations and you know like tons and tons of stuff yeah. and we travel all the time with suitcases and that's the way we live most of the time so you don't really need it all
0: well i think when my dad died about three years ago my brother and i were, were cleaning out his shed and everything and and you suddenly have that realization well this is this is what life is you know you spend a lifetime collecting and and obtaining things and then just be your children to throw the tip at the end, <laughs> end of it all you know yeah. these these things which are precious to you
2: oh yeah uh, that's right and yeah. that, that's the point yeah. but
0: i will still retain my that autographed is photograph of caroline o'connor <laughs> in chicago in 1998 so but look i, I think that's a si- I think that's a sign of you as a person why you are so adored by the public by your fans but also by your work colleagues in the theater you are such a personal character um that well, must that must come very easy though
2: that's a nice thing to say i um I just remember other people doing this when I was in England, you know, doing this and I remember them doing it and thinking how lovely it was to for people to reply and to acknowledge the fact that, imagine someone sits down and they really want to express how they feel about you and so you...
0: And especially if they're a young performer and if you can acknowledge that and...
2: I've got one from Anastasia that I haven't replied to yet and I'm feeling so guilty. You know, it's like a six-page letter from a young girl who was very moved and very excited by the show and the performance and wants to know, like, stuff. She wants to, she wants information of how to get to that place and what to do. So, yeah, it doesn't happen so much these days. Is it, you know, sort well, of fan it's letters and things? time-heavy, is it? it's just Twitter now and Instagram yep. and little, you know, messages like that. But I think... I always loved a handwritten card or a handwritten letter myself. I think there's something really beautiful about it, and and my mother used to do it. Like my mother sent more Christmas cards than anybody else in the world, yep. and uh, you know, over a hundred a year she would send and get just as many back. And and so I think I just from observing her and yeah, I I I must say I look at that and I go wow that, that is kind of sweet and
0: that's impressive. It's great, um and, and prized much more highly than a selfie. Although we'll do a selfie later
2: course (laughs) absolutely (laughs) i just don't do many selfies of myself i do when i go on holidays just to say hey look at me here i am but but i mean just on average you know that selfies are such a huge huge thing now aren't they i set the camera up you know with people if i can't i'd rather not ask someone to take a photo i'd rather put the timer on and then say to my friend come on get in the photo you know what i mean yeah
0: yeah it's um is there something removed about that it's um it's terrific but, but you think how many photographs must? You know, we talk about albums and what our parents collect etc but how many digital photographs must be out there in the world now I mean the, the whole the world's population are doing all these selfies and posting things on Instagram yeah. etc et et so I have
2: something like Facebook. apparently 10,000 photos on my phone or something it says you know because sometimes you take a photo of where you park the car sometimes you take a photo of do you know what I mean you're and taking the, photos just as a, to remind yourself of things and Is when you, do we look at them again Well, now you're supposed to delete stuff, you know, but it's like emails. They just build up and build up and build up and you never get to delete it. I've just done my screen the other day of the computer and it was like a huge thing that I had achieved, just removing all those things from the screen.
0: And a week later it'll be... It'll be
2: chock-a-block again, (laughs) yeah. But I I do, yeah. Who has the time?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, listen, um, uh, Chicago wasn't the first time I saw you. I saw you in my first trip to London in 1995 in Mac and Mabel, which I believe was your first big...
2: Mac and Mabel was my first leading lady role that I ever had. And that was um, at the Piccadilly Theatre in London. And it was a big deal because um, the show had never been done, you know, pretty much outside of America. And it never been done in the UK before. I think it was
0: on Broadway in 74. So it's a good 20 years later that... You're yes. it in London
2: yeah. yeah and I had done ten shows with this particular not oh hang on not at that stage, but I'd done about six or seven shows with this particular director up till then. So when he tried to you know get the rights to do Mac and Mabel, um, he got to, obviously had to get in touch with Jerry Herman and, and the, all of the people that um, look after him and he said, my one criteria about doing this show is that I want this particular girl to play the role. And he said to to Jerry Herman and his team, "But you can choose whoever you want to play Mac as long as that's the deal as long as I get Caroline if Caroline can play mabel so so that was pretty gutsy of yeah. him, you know um he just thought, he could have lost it yes, he could have lost yeah, it yeah, yeah. and I, and it was uh, it was a big break for me. I was probably about at the time I think I was thirty around thirty two so he was, you know i so it's a late
0: time to achieve leading lady status it is it? really yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: it is actually but i never really thought about it to be honest i i never ever want you know just strive to be a leading lady that was not my intention in theater full stop
0: so what was well, you want to be a dancer
2: i, I just wanted yeah. to be on the stage right. i didn't if it was dancing singing acting i, that, I just wanted to be in shows and to be on the stage it wasn't like oh why do i never get the lead or and I, because if people look at my history i actually was a, a, a very uh, successful understudy i mean seriously i was like i was like this understudy, very reliable in london for 10 years i understudied so many people in shows all of those shows i did prior to mac and mabel i was pretty much always an understudy to the, to the leading role and for me the reason was because i was learning i was learning my craft at the time you know, I would say to people, we didn't have musical theatre schools Training then in schools. Australia. No, you know, no, it didn't exist, yeah. and so you had to learn on the job a lot of the time. And so, yeah, that was a big deal. I thought, my God, I'm, I'm a leading lady. This is this is crazy. I, I, I and someone believes in me enough to give me that role. I, uh, so, it was thrilling, and Jerry Herman, of course, was involved, because he...
0: He came out and rewrote it, didn't he? Or he the came out, they... Uh, played, played with the ending, or... Well, it,
2: you know, they've always said that they, the ending's bad of Mac and Mabel, and I, I disagree wholeheartedly, because... Because you know, it finishes
0: on a downer, doesn't it?
2: It does, you know, yes. she dies, but, you know, everyone dies, and we do musicals... <laughs> look, look at Hamlet! <laughs> well, you know, we, did we, why do we love shows about a French Revolution, or why do we love shows about, yeah. you know, a Vietnam War, you know, people died in those too, and... You know, so it's just interesting to me that that one person died and it was like, oh my God, no, this is a terrible musical. It's
0: well, they're blaming there. that as an excuse for not not, for not so, being successful.
2: Yeah. My, my theory is that Mac and Mabel was not successful because it was just... Theatre is like fashion. And so at that time chorus line wasn't it was coming out in 74 wasn't it yeah around that time those sorts of shows
0: Chicago in 75 Ch-
2: changing oh, quite exactly. sophisticated
0: pieces yes. changing Company, the, it yeah. wasn't
2: you know everyone getting married at the end you know like you used to do in all musicals at so it's stage. possibly a
0: bit old-fashioned
2: it probably maybe. seemed that way yeah, yeah, you know time, a little yeah. compared to the exciting things that were going on you know and I do think theatres are very fashionable and you, suddenly you'll get a, an influx of shows that are about you know, pop groups or pop stars like now we've got Cher and we've got, um, you know, like the Jersey Boys show and those sorts of shows suddenly become the popular thing and then you'll go back to revivals again, you know, like we did Anything Goes a few years ago, suddenly it went, did brilliantly you know, it's just one of those things it's, it's fashion and so Mac and Mabel was a big deal, he came over, it was thrilling he was in the room in the rehearsal room with us, smiling, Michael Stewart had written the original book. Yep. But his sister, would you believe, Francine Pascal, actually did the rewrites. Wow! It would be Great. like my sister taking over from me in the show. You know what I mean? <laughs> with no experience of actually being in so, a musical. So I, the I,
0: sister wasn't theatrical at all. Had no.
2: Well, was not really a musical theatre writer yeah. as far as anyone knew, but. Right because she owned the rights to to it you know she did the rewrites and so yeah there were changes we tried a wedding of course a fake wedding an imaginary wedding we we tried her not dying at the end you know lots of different things we tried i thought it was a shame because she was such an interesting woman an amazing woman a successful woman and like probably the first female director of film and uh, apart from being a brilliant uh, silent comedian she directed people like charles chaplin and, or Fatty Arbuckle and those people. You know, this, and people don't realise it. They only remember people like Lenin Gish, and because she died so young. So mm. I was always so interested, and enthusiastic about the role, and I think that's why I, I embraced it so much. Did my research, and and then when Jerry Herman came uh, to see the show, I was I was thinking about making an album, uh, a CD, which I did afterwards. And he actually did the forward for me in the CD. If you read it, he he wrote the forward of the. Um, of the album, which was really exciting. Yeah. And he, and I'm in his book, which I find really interesting too. And he says that I have a very Judy Garlandy kind of voice. And I thought, that's interesting because years later I ended up playing Judy Garland. So it's almost like he predicted it. Yeah, he knew yeah.
1: something. Come on, get happy. You better chase all your cares away. come on, get happy. Get ready for the judgment day. The sun is shining, come on, get happy. The Lord is waiting to take your hand. <laughs> Hallelujah, come on, get happy We're going to the promised land We're heading across the river Wash your sins away in the tide It's oh so peaceful on the other side your troubles, come on, get happy You better chase all your cares away Hallelujah, come on, get happy Get ready for the judgment day Forget your troubles, come on, get happy Let's look at the past year.
0: It's been an extraordinary year. Um, You finished up a run in Anastasia Anastasia on Broadway. Mm. Um, Then you did The Rink in London. You're back in Australia doing Funny Girl with the Symphony, Boy From Oz with the production company, Candide with the Philharmonic, and your own show, Caroline O'Connor from Broadway with Love at Angel Place. Do you ever get tired?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I said to myself, this affair... No, I said to myself, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take I think I'm going to take a year out. Is what I said, Uh, while I was in New York, I felt like I deserved it because I had. This is
0: heading towards the end of Anastasia. Yeah,
2: and then all of a sudden these things came up, and they all seemed to slot so beautifully, which doesn't always happen in our business, that I couldn't help myself. And also I thought, well, I'll get me home for a while, um, to Australia and see my fam, see my mum, for instance, and family. And just worked out that it was the right thing to do because, you know, sadly I lost my mum, so I was around. But um, then my friend said to me, there's no way on God's earth that you're going to take a year out. And I said, "Okay, well, maybe I'll do six months then. I'll take six months off just to give myself a break and just clear my head and eat uh, what I want and, you know, have fun and move houses and do whatever I want. And, of course, that hasn't happened either because, I don't know, ever since I've come home, things have started to crop up, work's... You know, about to start, I start another show on the 7th of January, I start a play, The Rise and Fall of Little Voice, and then mid-year I do a tour of La Scala to Broadway, and then at the end of the year next year I'm doing Kiss of the Spider Woman, so everything's sort of, that, that time off is, is not, sadly not going to happen, so maybe I'll have to do it the following year, take a break. It'll come. Well, people say to me you'll never take a break, but I, I, I would like to, I think it would be good for me, I think it would be healthy.
0: Well, I, just picking up what you're saying, then you know you can eat what you like. You know you're looking forward to that. So when you're working, I, I've been doing that lately, are you actually, just on be- a strict sort of diet and performance. Range oh, craft? it
2: depends on the role, absolutely. Uh, right. You yeah. know, like for instance, now I'm about to do this play, and I'm playing this middle-aged sex-craved, you know, sort of alcoholic ca- character, and. And you know for me to go out there looking like a racehorse would just be totally inappropriate (laughs) although when i did chicago you know that was my intention i i went to see i went to a nutritionalist and i was you know as people know i was so incredibly fit there was no question but also i was a woman of a certain age you know compared to a lot of the rest of the cast i was in my late 30s and so i worked bloody hard to get that body and then i did the show again 11 years later and i had to do the same thing again i had to get myself back in that shape and it's very difficult um when you're older to do that as well. So the eating is a big deal when you're doing a show, anything goes to add to be very fit for that. Um, But there is a regime and you have to be strict with it if you want your body to look like that for certain roles. And yeah, I mean, I don't suppose as I get older, that'll be as as much of a requirement, you know, uh, as it was before when I was dancing, because there'll be less dancing roles for me, obviously, as I get older.
0: Speaking of the roles, I mean, the, your CV is quite exhaustive, um, and and would be the envy of any leading lady. Uh, listen to this: Anita, Anna, Aldonza, Lola, Cassie, the Witch, Miss Shields, Missus Lovett, Reno Sweeney, Valma Kelly, Mabel Norman, Mama Rose, Fanny Bryce, Phyllis Rogers Stone, Allie Mae Chipley, Sarah Jane Moore, Hildy, Esther Hazy, Countess Lily Malevsky malevich Yeah. That's that's quite extraordinary. Um, it demonstrates enormous range, and also um, each of those roles requires different demands. How yes. do you prepare for a role?
2: I love that part actually. I like the research. Uh, I really do. I, I don't. I think it was because of it was because of Mac and Mabel that I realised how important that was. I knew beforehand, but I didn't know as the responsibility of playing a per, especially when they're a real person. That responsibility is enormous and I think that's why I got into the research thing. And so of course if you're not playing a real p- person then you have to develop something, some characteristics or something. So yeah, I, I actually do quite a bit of work before I start and I ask a lot of questions, even if they're stupid questions, obvious questions. People might look at me and go, oh, she's so stupid. I want to know absolutely, you know, who I'm playing, where she's from, what, you know, e- e- well, everything. So, um... I'm lucky with the next one because I was born only twenty miles away from where this character uh, is based. Uh, I was born in a place called Oldham in Lancashire, so I, I, I really should have had an accent like this to be honest with you. I should have talked like Coronation Street, so I'm lucky that I've got that already. Yep. I'll have to investigate the the heavy drinking side of it <laughs> <laughs> and the sexual you know right. sort of side of it but yep. i, I i do love that part of it um i'm just thinking that often there's a lot you can read about like for instance when i was doing anastasia that is a fictitious character i was the only one probably of all of them that was probably not really a real character the others were so i observed you know what was going on around me and just developed this character depending on what was on the on the page i read i read the script a lot before i start just read it over and over quite a few times um i make a lot of notes before rehearsal, about things I feel, just the energy, say, of a scene, or if that should be funny. And that, you know, I sort of, in my head, I try and imagine it beforehand before I go in the room. Oh yeah, I don't do like a cold read when I get in there. I have to sort of have had it. I've got the book already, a little voice. There is no script, I've already got it. Uh, what were you saying? You were saying, how do I prepare for yeah, it? Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, because you know, there's gra- all those, those roles there are, are all required to have different demands vocally physically um yeah you've got to know who that woman is
2: i I haven't really taken on many roles over the years that i didn't feel comfortable with or that i would be right for have you knocked back roles i wanted to yeah recently actually to be honest with you candide was someone that i was not in my mind was not right for i was asked you know to do it and i i suppose because it, it was mitchell butel who asked me and he's such a great actor and a great director and um, because he believed in me I thought well I'll be able to do this I, I, because of him really but I, I must admit that was a, an enormous challenge and I found it quite difficult Voc- and I vocally, I had regret or? vocally. Yeah. the character was fine the character I understood who she was but I saw the script is very difficult of Candide anyway to make sense of and so it as from an actor's point of view it wasn't the most pleasurable experience and it was quite nerve wracking for me, vocally, I, I didn't particularly enjoy it. I was not perfect casting for it, but I'd say in one respect I was for the character and the other respect, vocally, probably not. So, you know what I mean? It would be... Sometimes directors and people have to pick the person that's right more for the character than just singing the notes. Sometimes that, it's fine for a recording, yep. but it's not good enough for a, a stage presentation, so... Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, so um, all of those actually, I suppose they're quite character-based, aren't they? A lot of those people, you know, they're not regular people. They're sort of slightly they're bigger. Very,
0: they're larger than life. Larger
2: than life characters. Yeah. So I never wanted to play myself. I've never wanted to be myself. You know, even when, when I was a young performer, when I sing a song, I try and sing it in character. So if you listen to my first CD, you can hear, it's like all these different voices. You're like, well, well, well. and I used to say to myself, what do I sound like when I just sing as me? Cause I don't know anymore. Cause when I sing a song, I interpret it as a story and as a character. So yes, very much so the accents, the body language, the speed of the person, you know, the, uh, just really trying to establish um, an energy of someone. Some of these, it's very easy because some people have played them before, so you do have something to to look back on. And well, you're a
0: bit of a bowel bird, aren't you? You look at those performances and you take what you need and you, you mould it and shape your own. You Still, the and good stuff. Sort of You'd thing.
2: be mad not yeah, to, yeah, you yeah. know. But then, I think you're as a person, as a performer. Quite often, there is an essence of yourself that's always within that character, anyway. So yeah that i mean gosh i'm tired now looking at the list i have to say and that's not all the shows that's just sort of like pretty much a lot of the characters but But i don't know
0: of any other leading lady in australia or on broadway who has covered that many major roles major leading roles i think that's that's extraordinary and a big pat on the back
2: oh well thank you and i suppose i've been fortunate but also um because i've worked in three continents Mm. that's made a huge difference Um, because of course all of those shows wouldn't have happened in Australia so no
0: no, true true you know you you have garnered those around the world
2: you wouldn't have that opportunity here because there's not enough work for everybody and so part of my plan when I was young was to go to America but I couldn't work there legally when I was younger but I knew I had a British passport and so that's why I went to England and of course there you've got the tours and you've got the rep theatres and you've got you know the West End and it's it's just their life so there's many, many more opportunities.
0: Well, you've worked you know, in Australia, uh, in London, and Broadway, and in Paris.
2: Yeah, I love so Paris. How, how does all that work?
0: Um, you're oh. obviously you've, you've got a green card, uh, you, you had parentage of course, which got you to the UK. British,
2: yeah, I was born in Britain, uh, came to Australia when I was four and a half, so, and of course I'm an Australian citizen. Um, and, of course, being from England, I can work in Europe. My, mind you, that might not last too much longer soon. Right, of course. Okay. So my parents are from Ireland, so I'll just have to get myself an Irish passport, and then I'll be able to continue to work in – because you can – continue to work in Europe. I just love my job, and I, and I want to I go – and. I always wanted to challenge myself to see if I could work in those places, if I could be employable in those places too, because then I would know the standard of my work. If it's good enough, mm, mm. rather than just being a big fish in a small sea, I would rather go and challenge myself against some of the best people in the world and see if I can do it just for myself, not to prove anything to anybody else, but for me and to, and to be good at what I do, to be able to maybe one day, well, I don't really teach, but maybe one day pass on something that might be of use to someone.
0: <laughs> well, Broadway has certainly been a great reward in your career. Yeah. You, you get there, arrived there with Chicago, yes. playing Belma Kelly. Um, were you how did you were you sponsored to go and play in the Broadway company yeah at or? that time
2: they did a special you know visa for me um, because uh, they wanted me to do the show it was the 7th year anniversary but the film was coming out that year and so they wanted to put a really strong team of players together so they asked myself and Charlotte Dumbois Charlotte um, uh, Dumbo to do it and they brought Billy Zane in to do Billy Flynn um, so that was a came out of left left field that opportunity and they said don't worry about everything we'll arrange it and so while i was there um and i got a, a wonderful support from the producers i decided to apply for my green card so that's that's what i did.
0: did and did you ever think that you would not only another time but you've played broadway three times now three yeah
2: i never thought that i would create two roles on you know because that's what's happened i mean i i've created, not only done two shows on Broadway, but created a couple of roles. To me, that's the thrilling part, you know, is actually doing something from scratch. So Miss Shields in A Christmas Story, um, that was sort of rewritten when we went, because it had been done out of town, as a out-of-town tryout, which I wasn't involved in, but they were looking for a, a slightly older, more mature, shall we say, lady who could tap dance And the guy that was assisting Warren Carlyle, his name is James Gray, I did Mac and Mabel with in London. And he, and I happened to be, this is all roundabouts, but I happened to be in Assassins at the time at Milwaukee Repertory Theatre. I had gone over there to fill in for somebody who decided not to do the show. And I get this phone call out of nowhere saying, listen, there's this musical. They want to write a new song. This is Benj, Pasek and Justin Paul who wrote Christmas Story, who also wrote Dear Evan Hansen. They want to write a new song. It's called You'll Shoot Your Eye Out and they need someone to tap. And are you interested? And I said, absolutely am I interested. <laughs> so uh, I, then they watched a lot of my clips, you know, YouTube clips and stuff. And basically I got a phone call back saying, you know, this is when it starts. So I didn't really have to go and sing or dance for any of them or anything. They, but then
0: I sing on the cake. You also appear at the Tony Awards.
2: So, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. That Because that, I was not even show fit. You know what I mean? Like the show was a Christmas show. So we've done it, I think, in New York, somewhere around like November to the end of January. And then, yes, of course, Tony's is around June, isn't it? Yep. So I get this call not that many weeks before, actually, to be honest with you, to say, do you want to come and... Uh, do the number with the kids at the Tony Awards. Ah, oh, well, to me, that was just, like, unbelievable and such a thrill. And Radio City, it was... Because it sometimes changes venues, but that particular year it was at Radio City, and it was... Uh, it's the most beautiful theatre. And every single person in the business that could ever employ you is in the audience. So it's the most... T- and, of course, millions so it's a, it's and a big millions... it's audition, too, isn't it? Oh, millions of people <laughs> watching it on television. Of course, yeah. it has a huge, huge audience. And it was it's terrifying because also we did a slightly edited version of the number so it's not the same we hadn't done the show i hadn't done a show for ages so none of us were as i say show fit um and it's li- it it is life seriously so if anything goes wrong you may never work again or your whole you know career goes down the plug hole in one two minutes
0: and you're working with kids
2: Oh, do you know, it wasn't until then. I'd never worked with kids in my entire career until I did Gypsy. And I sort of now have done quite a few shows with kids, which is funny. But yeah, that was a thrill and uh, terribly nerve-wracking and exciting and to be there and and in the atmosphere. Um, And then, of course, the next time was Anastasia. And that sort of came out of nowhere as well. Just... It's just to me. I think it's fate for me. A lot of these things that have happened, I've always wanted to, to work for there. A reason. Mm. Yeah, I have no doubt that. And also, I think because I've always maintained kind of a positive attitude about you know success or not not having success, I've never sort of thought, oh, you know, poor me, I didn't get that. I just think, always feel sort of lucky and fortunate with the jobs that I've gotten. You know, some people can get a bit. I've seen it a lot in the business, like very bitter about it, yep. very angry about it, and you mm. think that's a bad energy to have, you know, you're better off being positive and realising that you are in a really bloody tough industry, and think yourself lucky if you get employed, because you're in the arts, This is there's no security in this job. Not at all. You're taking the risk, so. Yeah.
0: And, and, and longevity doesn't reward you with any sort of promotion or, or whatever, you're just... You're in there for the long haul. I
1: got the surprise, the surprise of my life. I had to stop and stare. I saw a man dancing with his own wife. And you will never guess where. Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town, that toddling town. Chicago, Chicago, I'll show you around I love it, bet your bottom dollar you lose the blues In Chicago, Chicago, the town that Billy Sunday could not shut down On State Street, that great street, I just want to say, I just want to say They do things they don't do on Broadway Say they have the time, the time of their life I saw a man, he danced with his wife in Chicago Chicago
0: Let's press the rewind button and go right back. Your parents moved to uh, Adelaide. as ten pound homes. Yeah, that's yes, right. Out, out they out did. to Australia. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, they're
2: from Ireland, and they moved and lived, they lived in England for ten years, and that's where I was born. The rest of the family's from Ireland, but yes, they we, we went to Adelaide first.
0: So did they? Uh, they introduce you to, to to dance, or was that something that to you Irish to dancing? Do? Irish Peter. dancing. Was yes,
2: it? because of their culture. Yeah. I think my mum had always wanted to be, uh, to do Irish dancing and she'd never had the opportunity as a child and so I was sent to Irish dancing classes. I think my sister and brother had, had been given opportunities prior to that, you know, um, back in uh, England, um, but as a little girl from the moment I started I, you know, my mum said that my sister was on stage once dancing and I, she, she, I was still a baby, I was still having a bottle Walking around, but having a bottle. And she turned around, she couldn't find me, and she looked up on the stage, and I'm bouncing next to my sister with my bottle in my hand. My sister's doing a competition, and I'd found my way up to the stage.
0: Upstaging? Upstaging,
2: probably, you know. Well, that hasn't changed. But they, at the end of the day, they gave me a medal. and anyway, My sister got a certificate. She said she got a medal, and I just got a piece of paper.
1: <laughs> Which
2: is terrible, but I think that was a sign, and my mum knew, like, I just loved music you know I just as soon as I would hear it I'd start bouncing around and so in Adelaide I went to a school I probably started about five or six and my first championship state championship I sort of won that and and that got the ball rolling an adjudicator said to my mum I think your little girl's very special and there are really great schools that she could go to so my parents moved the entire family to Sydney so I could go to a better Irish dancing school. That's true.
0: Really? Just because somebody recognised some talent in you? And
2: and so they thought, well, she's going to learn. She might as well learn from the best.
0: That's a huge undertaking to move the family to another state. and
2: It is. It yeah. sure is. Because yeah. imagine my siblings are older than me too. Yeah. So they're, they're at their, that stage of their life, because they were 10, 9 and 8 years older than me, then, you know, that stage of their life, they, it must have been... Weird, you know, to sort of say, OK, we're going to move because she's a good dancer. But it sort of was faded. it yeah, was meant to be. Meant to and be. the school I went to was a fantastic school called the Ransley School of Dance. And, of course, once I arrived and I was doing my Irish dancing, they taught everything, ballet and tap and jazz. And So I was introduced to everything else once I got there. And they trained me up until the time that I went to the Royal Ballet School when I was 17.
0: Where did the name Caroline come from?
2: A Kennedy... President Kennedy's daughter oh, really? is okay. called Caroline, yeah. right? Yeah. My mum was a big uh, John F. Kennedy fan. So that's why I was named Caroline. Mm.
0: So after Irish dancing, you find your way into the ballet world?
2: Yes, which ha- I love.
0: Had you been performing in amateur musicals or anything? Nothing. No? with allow- this- well, Our school wouldn't right. allow
2: us to even audition for musicals at, in the early days. They did later on. But they wouldn't let us do a Steadford's either. We just trained. Right. So... But they loosened up a bit as the years went by so no i loved class my dad used to come pick me up and he it was liverpool street was the studio and he used to sit in the pub across the road and wait for me to and i'd have i walk across the road and put my head in the door and say dad i'm ready to go and he'd say sit up and i'd sit up on the stool and have a fire engine so you know, would i red cordial lemonade <laughs> you know like after dance class and yep. and then he'd drive me home uh, and but sometimes he'd have to come and begged me to get out to leave you know he'd be Caroline let's go let's go and I didn't want to leave the studio I didn't want to loved it and I've still got such close friends from that time of studying
0: who were your idols growing up
2: I didn't really think about it too much to be honest um, I, I
0: ate ballet dancers that
2: uh, oh loved did, the ballet yeah. yes I used to go a lot you know and see oh, Gosh, course the names that pop into my head are like Marilyn Rowe Kevin Kelvin Coe you know um, I ended up you know, working with the Australian Opera Ballet was my first professional job, and um, Lois Strike was uh, a principal dancer with Australian Ballet, and she was my boss when I worked for the Opera Ballet. But I loved listening to records. Uh, you know, my parents were shift workers, so I still listened to a lot of records on my own in the house when I was home alone. And so... Yeah. Uh, is this
0: is show records, or...?
2: Yeah, cast, yeah, I uh, know yeah. oh, anybody though. i right. would listened to Nat King Cole, yeah. and you know, great singers, because my dad was a, a, a really loved good music.
0: Did you sing along with a hairbrush or anything?
2: So that's what started to happen was I have recordings of me singing. I got a tape recorder and I started to record myself singing to people. So in a recent concert I did, I actually played a tape of me singing Rose's Turn when I was like 11, which is hilarious because you'd think, Gypsy, I'd want to play, you know, Baby June, or, (laughs) but I didn't. I wanted to play Rose and I was fascinated by... I was fascinated by the character sound in people's voices. And I suppose because, you know, in those days, we couldn't go and see these people. You had to imagine them. And um, I didn't know, until I looked at the pictures, you know, of Gypsy on the cast albums, I didn't know what Ethel Merman looked like. And, but I was mesmerized by that powerful voice. Doris Day, she just was so beautiful, the sound of her voice. And I I suppose I was just mesmerized with, with the, the sound and the storytelling that you didn't have to see it you could listen to a cast album and you you I was emotionally you know uh, I was moved at such a young age to feel that
0: it's not unlike the rise and fall of Little Voice
2: it's so much like it that when my husband he took me on a date to see that in London and when Jane Horrocks was doing it and I sat there and I thought oh my god someone's just written a play apart from the drunken mother about my life that's Freaky, and then I realised, of course, every young girl who wants to be in theatre probably does that,
0: and a few young boys,
2: and a lot of young boys, <laughs> probably more. <laughs> so, yeah, that was how it happened, and it's so interesting. My mum found the tapes, so it's obviously a big secret. I had nobody knew about this thing that I used to do, and she said, "What the hell's all this about now?" With this, and showed me the tapes and said, "You know, because I'd gone, I was living away from home, I'd started working, and so it was just something she discovered years later."
0: Yeah. But there was something about that escape through storytelling. I mean, I used to love, you know, getting the latest Sondheim recording on LP, you know, something young ones can't do now. They stream or Spotify or whatever. But you go home and you put it on the turntable and you'd, you'd read all of the lyrics and be just transported to another world.
2: Absolutely. Mm. And it, there was something terrible... I mean, I wasn't probably as knowledgeable as you. I, I You know, I remember the, my first professional job when I worked at the opera, I happened to work with Anthony wallo it, it was very early days for him. You know, but he was... From the moment you you saw him in a rehearsal, that t- that time when I worked with him, actually, I thought he's a star. This is a star. It's just something about him that was just, the talent was extraordinary. And he was the first person who mentioned Sondheim to me. I'd never heard of Stephen Sondheim at that point. And what was I? But then probably about nineteen, twenty. I didn't know anything about Sondheim. <laughs> so, yeah, that I was just learning as I was going.
0: So you you've given a scholarship to the Royal Ballet School in London at seven about 17 were you? Yes. Yeah, was it difficult to leave the family and travel to the other side of the world?
2: Well, it was. It, it was very emotional. Like there's pictures I photographs and you can see of me crying at the airport with my mum and dad, but I, I was I was pretty good, you know, I was pretty independent. I think growing up as a latchkey kid, I was pretty independent anyway. So, I loved it. I arrived in London and I thought I love this place and I'm meant to be here. And I remember going into the West End and buying a five pound ticket to see Oklahoma. It was up in the nosebleed seats, you know. So it
0: John Dietrich. It was John Dietrich's yeah,
2: production. Yeah. I'm thinking, wow. You know, I'd never seen a, a West End musical at that point. That was the first time. And I thought, wow. Because I'd travelled to England and Ireland for many years doing Irish dancing championships. You know, world cha- I did the world championships in Dublin. And, you know, so I'd been overseas a lot. I travelled a lot. But whenever we went, I don't remember us ever going to see a show. And so, to me, that was, oh, my God, this is, a- Oklahoma's such a good show. And he was brilliant in it, you know. And I thought, my God, he's Australian. This is fantastic. And who would believe that that would be my first musical I ever did was Oklahoma back in Australia with John Dietrich? Isn't that crazy? Really? Yeah.
0: So, of course, they did the, uh, the production of Oklahoma the production in Australia, came to Australia. And you got into that. So and that I got was, into that. So, was that your first musical? My first
2: musical. Right. I, isn't that Fate 2?
0: That's Fate 2, it's meant it's to be. It's
2: kind of weird.
0: Yeah.
2: So, the show I had seen that introduced me to sort of loving musicals so much was the one that i ended up doing yeah and of course i was you know only obviously in the ensemble which i adored i was a swing actually which is a great job i replaced someone that was injured and um it's i started in sydney at the theater royal and then we went on tour and i understudied like the child in it and then i started to get my chops around singing a bit you know because i'd never really i'd been a dancer yes never, that was my first was singing silent audition. Yeah, absolutely. And, my song, and I was so I, I, I knew so little, Peter, that I sang I Got Rhythm for my audition for Oklahoma. That's how little I knew.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I got rhythm, I got... It's like, what the hell? That's so inappropriate for Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> I knew nothing. But I knew that song and I knew all the words, so I thought... Because I had the That's Entertainment album and I knew all of those songs from that, so that's what happened.
0: Um, ballet is such an extraordinary discipline, you know, the the focus and stamina and commitment that's required. I, I guess that's really put you in good harness for uh, for your career.
2: I think that's why I've been able to still dance into my, you know, 50s, is because of that training, that brilliant, brilliant training that I had, you know, from the get-go. Um, uh, but I, I remember being in a position sort of on the floor, you know, doing a beautiful ballet position, one night and thinking to myself, I just want to jump up a leap around and I did want to say something. You know, just something hit me while I was on stage thinking, I, I don't know, and I don't think that I'll ever be, I knew I'd never be a principal dancer. I wasn't good enough. Uh, I would never be the lead swan. You know, my my dancing was good, but to be a, a great ballet dancer is, it's, well, it's, a, it's a tall, you know, order.
0: It sounds like as soon as you saw Oklahoma, that was... The end of ballet you were being seduced by a whole new way
2: yeah. of performance and because i've been sort of uh, a shy it's hard to believe is not quite a shy ch- child i think the going into uh, an industry where i could express myself in a character rather than myself was psychologically something that really interested me you know to I me mean? as a person just yep. to open myself up a bit yeah
0: we talked about that vast array of roles that you've performed but that also means that you've performed the work of a vast array of composers, you know, Sondheim and Kander and Ebb and Jerry Herman and Leonard Bernstein and Cole Porter and uh, Hans and Flattery, the list goes on and on and on. But of course, you've been really fortunate to actually work firsthand with those, some of those people.
2: Yeah, exactly. I who, mean, who, are,
0: who are some of the people that you've worked with? And, and, and what in have, the room. Yes, what that you've been in the room with and, and what have they taught you?
2: Um, well, I'll, I'll try and, I'll put, this won't be in any particular order.
0: No, it's just whatever comes into your head.
2: Uh, but I suppose uh, a big one was um, Candra and Ebb, uh, when Fred Ebb was still alive. I did The Rink in London. Um, I was the uh, walking cover for Angel, for the younger role. Yes, the um, daughter. The daughter, It yep. was played by Liza Minnelli on Broadway. And so they came over, when with Terence McNally, actually, the writer. The three of them came over while we were rehearsing The Rink. And Nelly,
0: of course, you worked with in Anastasia. Anastasia.
2: Fact, oh, fate, again. Meant Weird, right? Yeah. And so um, that was thrilling um, because they were charming and quite wonderful. And Kandra and Emma, and actually John Kandra I'm still in touch with to this day, which is rather lovely. He came to see Anastasia and came back to the stage and said hi, and that's, that was wonderful. And of course Terence, I've become quite friendly with because of, because of Anastasia. Um, uh, Stephen Sondheim, has been to see two shows that i've done and i well i sang at his 80th birthday at the royal Albert hall in that concert and then i also did sweeney todd in paris and did,
0: he, didn't he describe you as the best missus oh, somebody wrote
2: that somebody i've never said it but it was in right. le monde in the newspaper le monde right. apparently the guy that did the interview with sondheim said that he'd said made that quote about you okay know. and
0: then it's got into wikipedia and around yeah and, and so i, and so I so that think was it research. was
2: from le monde you know that that it came so i'd like to think that it happened of yeah, course of you course, know of yeah. course but and he was very uh, um, charming and
0: said some lovely
2: things yeah. after the performance which was great i came on stage and we did photographs and
0: did you perform it in french or english
2: in english right. yes and we had the surtitles but um, he then uh, suggested me for a job with Hal Prince. Uh, he act- was this the Prince uh, this of This is a true story. Yeah, Prince yeah. of Broadway. Yeah. And Hal Prince rang me at my house in London and said, Hey, Caroline, you know, Steve recommended <laughs> you. And I was like, this-. I said, can you hang on a minute? I just put the phone down on the bed and I was just. I said, I'm sorry, uh, Hal, I just had to just take a deep breath because I can't believe you're ringing me at my house. This, this is extraordinary. And he was so lovely, of course, th- th- we'll talk about that later. But So, yeah, Sondheim came to see Sweeney Todd and it- then I did... I also did Follies uh, with the Chicago Shakespeare Theatre, and he came to see that too, it was so amazing. Brent Barrett and I, Brent Barrett was playing my husband, and we were walking down the aisle, it was set in the round, the show, past the audience to go on stage, and I could see the back of his head, and I knew it was him, and I'm nudging Brent, I'm like, oh my God, he's in the audience, he's here again. He came backstage and said hi to everybody. And uh, so, yeah, it was funny. I'd never done, I'd never worked with Stonheim before and I did three shows in one year. I did Assassins as well, at Milwaukee rep, uh, but he didn't come to see that. So, yeah, it was kind of weird that that happened and uh, terribly nerve-wracking to have him in the audience because he's, you know, a genius, as everyone knows, and he doesn't give a lot away. No. Very my experience was that he was very concerned about the words in particular the words you know like i remember getting a note about i was singing a wrong lyric and he sent the message back to say tell caroline she's not singing the right lyric in broadway baby because it changes the first part to the second and yeah. of course then when the gig gave me the note i still got it wrong because i was so nervous i still made a mistake you know but um also Stephen uh flarity and lynn aarons of course you did anastasia who were just wonderful and it's just some, something else to be around a piano with people and they've written a new song and you're singing it and you're interpreting it and I'm doing it with John Bolton around the piano and they're saying how they like this and try that. And,
0: and you're the first voice that's breathing life into their, their music and well, lyrics.
2: Yeah, well, actually, that show had had an out-of-town right. version but it, so much had been rewritten by the time I got to New York. Because you did it in Connecticut
0: too, didn't you? Yes, we did it at Hartford,
2: Connecticut. We did Mm. it now. And I also did a Christmas story in Connecticut before too, and and Boston. So,
0: so what was it like working with those boys in A Christmas Story? Because did well, you have ben any Sh- idea they've ah, gone on to do the Greatest you? Showman? And um, I know
2: because they wrote Dogfight right La La beforehand. Land. And no, but before Christmas Story, the musical, you know, they'd written a couple of shows yep. that I think people had started to sniff and go, these guys are good. And then Christmas Story, of course, I, I just turned up and there's these two young, gorgeous creatures. And you know, I thought they've written this show that's going to Broadway. How amazing! such fun honestly the two of them and then of course they've gone on to write Dear Evan Hansen and La La Land and and
0: Greatest Showman
2: Greatest greatest Showman Uh, it's extraordinary they were lovely in the rehearsal room very very excited sat at the desk all the time all of the rehearsals doing rewrites and um yeah very supportive I'm trying to think others um what other shows have I done with living um, Cole
0: Porter what was he like oh <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I'm not that old <laughs> I know it's a joke but of course um, I know I look it did you
0: actually work with Kevin Kline in the interlovely the Cole Porter story I did yeah oh. yeah yeah, yeah.
2: So, mm. um well he had casting approval so yeah, he was
0: playing Cole Porter
2: he was playing yeah, Cole yeah. Porter and so I went into my audition and sang Ethel Merman uh, anything goes Ethel Merman song and uh, as her in character because they were looking for someone to play her in the film and I thought that was fate as well because I'd adored her since I was a child and um, people always say to me at that time they thought I'd already done anything guys they were like even when I did anything goes a few years ago they say but you've done anything guys I go no I haven't that's just because I did that little song in the film people yes. assumed that I had mm. he was wonderful and um and Ashley Judd too interesting you know you were talking about that little card earlier you know people that sort of do gestures kind gestures uh, one day I stayed back after shooting my scene so that Ashley Jada and Kevin Klein could do eye lines so I pretended I took my shoes off and I'm just soft softly dancing in front of them so they can watch me while they're being filmed and they said you know you don't have to stay we don't want to we'll get someone to do it and I said no, that's okay I'll stay for a few minutes and when uh, I, about two days later, a huge bunch of flowers arrived at my house from Ashley Judd to say thank you very much. That was very sweet of you to stay back and do that. Wow. I just thought it was a beautiful gesture. Yeah. Um, yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. That's people, some people are so kind.
0: So do you have a favorite composer or writing team? You know, uh, you know people that you enjoy doing the work of?
2: They don't have to be alive, do they?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't have to be alive. No, no, no. Um,
2: I have to say, uh, everything that people say about Sondheim is true, how complicated it is. Well, I, I had to go and do Sweeney. I had to take over and learn it in two weeks because somebody had dropped out. It's happened to me a lot in my career too, by the way. You'll, I'll talk about how I got shows and it'll be because someone else fell off a perch or something, you know what I mean, something happened. And so I, not died, but I mean somebody did, decided not to do it or they got injured or something like that. Quite often, I'm a stand-in. So um, that was so stressful to try and learn it, but the opportunity was so great that I just couldn't refuse learning god that's good is one of the hardest things i've ever had to do in my life it's such a hard song and yet to hear it you wouldn't know but it's because it the tunes tune changes slightly each time and the lyrics change each time so you know some things are harder than others and i do like the challenges like that it's like bombshells a play i did it was so hard 90 what's it about six characters six six monologues
0: yeah six characters mm.
2: two hours of talking and Mm. dancing and singing you know so i like the challenges but um when you do the classics like west side story for instance there's something about that too that's just that writing is unbelievable that orchestration is unbelievable so uh gosh bernstein yeah that's that's right at the top of the list i'd have to say um Um, have
0: you done wonderful town because i think you'd be I've wonderful been I've been
2: asking town. production company to do Wonderful Town for a while actually,
1: because
2: right. uh, even when I did Funny Girl the second time, I said no let's not do Funny Girl again let's do something else let's do let's do Wonderful Town. And play Ruth. So I'm keeping my fingers mm. crossed that I don't get you know that I can get that in before I get too old. Um, yeah, it's a great role and I mm. actually saw Donna Murphy do it on Broadway.
0: Oh, fantastic. She, she got a Tony for that. Didn't
2: she, she did, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the original was the, the original film fan. is unbelievable. Yes, you know, yes, if yes. you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. People watch it. You can watch the whole the whole show. It's fantastic.
0: Speaking of YouTube, um, you've had some wonderful experiences, um, and I was astounded. Well, and uh, why should I be surprised to see that you were in that first outing of Sunset Boulevard at Sidmonton.
2: <laughs> yeah, hilarious. That was a workshop. A mm. workshop, yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, what was that like to be um, at
0: the the ground floor of you know what was to be um a musical of such notoriety
2: you know it's interesting because um these these things happen in england and in in uh, america a lot that you get to work on things you know in the early stages the workshop done quite a few works some really bad ones too by the way but sunset boulevard was thrilling because Paddy lapone obviously came over to do it the the workshop and kevin anderson who ended up being cast did it And uh, forgive me, but I don't remember the name of the young lady who played Betty. But, um, yeah, it was. And I've never done a Lloyd Webber show. And I've never done one since.
0: Oh, really? Is that the only Lloyd Webber that you've
2: ever been involved in? oh dear. that's the only isn't that grateful theory? for
0: small mercies i
2: think well I wasn't my destiny <laughs> and you know i would never suit that kind of show anyway right, it's like yeah, that yeah. i've never yeah. been in a cameron mcintosh production hmm. and people go how could you have worked in england for all of those years and never been in one of his shows it's it's interesting but i think my type of show that i do which is the sort of singing and dancing element they don't do a lot of those sorts of shows it's not about that so um, I'm generalising, yep. but uh, you know yep. what I'm saying. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was thrilling. And we did it at his home in Sidmonton. He has the most incredible house and the, a, a little church at the back that's been converted into a theatre. And so, when everybody who was anybody rocked up to that, including Meryl Streep. Yep. She was in the audience and, you know, a lot of faces. In fact, Pettie Pane was so nervous on the day, I remember. She was so fantastic, by the way. She's an incredible woman. She was so nervous, she made us all go on stage before the show started and stand on stage and look at the audience and get the nerves out before we did the run. And I think it was probably more for her than us, but I thought that was really cool. She was like, to walk on it would have been too much. Yep. The stress and the pressure of it was too much.
0: Is um, it a big venue, the... Sidmonton Playhouse? Oh god no it's no. a little
2: it's a church it's, it's church in his part. grounds it's a little converted converted into a, a theatre and so yes and then of course the part I played was a sort of amalgamation of a couple of roles you know the girl that offers that asks if they can use the car and somebody else so there's a couple of little roles all molded into one and of course when the show happened I didn't get it so <laughs> it's that show is.
0: But something else came along. Something but else something else great. comes yeah. along. So
2: yeah, I mean, I it wasn't it wasn't meant for me. It, that's all it came down to. But that was that was pretty thrilling. And you know, it, he was in the room. Of course, he he doesn't play the piano a lot, but he he was there that day, sort of tinkering on the piano when we were rehearsing in the studio in London. And so that was kind of amazing to have Lloyd Webber in the room and Charles Hart, you know, who yeah. who wrote uh, *Phantom of the Opera*. And well, you know, Lloyd.
0: There's no doubting him. he's the most successful, probably, music theatre composer. In in history, so
2: yeah, an extraordinary. Um, yeah, and I mean, this has got figure. nothing to do with anything. But you know, one of my dearest friends is uh, Marie Johnson, and and just recently, while I was working on Broadway at the because Marie's doing Phantom,
0: isn't she? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. we
2: were actually next door to each other. Our theaters are were next door to each other, and she literally did a a curvy out the window of her dressing room. To get my, we never used to text each other. She would just cooey out the window. Seriously, and i go, hello. We could literally see each other.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, you're talking about synchronicity. I mean, because the two of you played Maria and
2: Anita, Anita in, West yeah, Story, Marie from, um, in West Side Story. Yeah, because took over from Marina in West Side Story. And so, of course, then years later, she fell in love with a gorgeous American man and, and lives in the States. And so I just thought that was so wonderful that the two of us were next door to each other doing shows on Broadway. Mm, amazing.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, Gillian Lynn. Have you worked with,
2: Absolutely, you know, yeah. You? Yes,
0: because I, I remember when she passed away you had a lot of lovely photographs on your, your Facebook yes. Uh, profile. Yes. So what was, did you do with her? She was very
2: important actually in my career when I first arrived in London because she employed me pretty much immediately. I got a couple of... I did a, a film called European Vacation. I was a dancer in that film. I'm hidden away in there. Don't look for me. Yeah, don't. Chevy <laughs> Chase. It's there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is a club scene, and it's sort of, you know, a bit seedy. And anyway, uh, then... Now everyone <laughs> will looking, looking for it. <laughs> for it. Um, <laughs> I also did a TV series called The Look... A, a special called The Look of Love, which was the music of Bert Bacharach that she, she directed and choreographed. But I did the show Cabaret with her, which was my... Uh, my first West End show was, was *Me, Me and My Girl*. Was yes, Wayne Sleep yeah, production. DMC, yeah. So yeah, that was at the Strand. We did we were we did a tour first, and then we went into the Strand Theatre. So he she directed and choreographed that, and I understudied Sally Bowles in that show. So it's, it, the understudying thing began with *Me and My Girl*. I understudied. I was second understudy for Emma Thompson, so I was her cover in *Me and My Girl* because she was the lead in that. Yes. In the
0: West really, you were yeah of course you were you're telling me oh, that's yeah. fantastic i know and I, so
2: i was dance captain so historically
0: as i said you're that you're in the room a lot at a lot of significant events
2: yes mm. and uh that was the wonderful mike o'chran who directed that who sadly passed away after he directed crazy for you on broadway susan
0: strowman's partner
2: correct mm. yeah so that was but he was brilliant you know i, I learned a lot from him because he uh de- details little details you know not just walking being a maid not just walking on and standing but you know pour the tea and do this and I remember doing a scene where I put sugar cubes into a cup by the time we'd doing the show for six months. Like I've put about <laughs> ten sugar cubes in the cup and get a huge laugh. And of course, the actors were hating it. But he taught me about business, little bits of business. Well, it's keeping that
0: stage picture alive, isn't it? Everyone's contributing to it. So yes, that, that he, business he was really helped.
2: very, very. Clever. You know, Crazy for You is an example of, of his brilliance and Susan Stroman. So, and watching Robert Lindsay, who was just such a fantastic actor. You yeah. know, and Emma yeah. in those days, she she I think she wanted at the time to be a stand-up comedian. I don't think she had any idea probably where her career was going to go. Well, so she
0: came out of that that group of footlights with Hugh Laurie and Stephen right. Fry and, and Stephen Fry wrote the book. Yes, Disney, he did for yeah. Me and My Girl. Yeah, yeah, so
2: he was he was around a lot when we were doing Me and My Girl, um, uh, and I'm just trying to think who else was involved in that. That uh no no one knew it was going to be the success it was i did the show with another australian actually greg shant he was in the cast as well i don't know if anybody will remember they probably do because greg did shows here in australia even chicago he did with geraldine and nancy Nancy, so yeah we did the show that was lovely to have an australian pal you know our first West End show together and so then cabaret was next with Gillian, lynn and you know what happened actually i was dance captain of me and my girl and My contract was 15 months. You you signed contracts for a long time in London. And at the end of about 12, I auditioned for Cabaret. And I got it, but I had to leave the show early, me and my girl, and I, I literally begged them and begged them to let me go. And they kept saying no, because I was the dance captain, and I had this, and I said, but I've got an understudy for Sally Bowles, and I, and it's such a, and it's Gillian Lynn, and it's, and I just persisted and persisted and said, look, I'll teach someone else the whole show for nothing, I'll do it for free, I'll do overtime, anything, as long as you can let me go and it paid off in the end I oh, for God's sake, just go you know what I mean but I did I trained someone up and, and then I left to do cabaret which was the best thing I ever did actually who was actually.
0: playing Sally Bowles
2: a girl called Kelly Hunter actually was playing the role um, and Wayne Sleep was the MC and Peter Land was playing Clifford who is Gillian Lynn's husband oh right who has a magnificent voice you yep. know? wonderful he did My Fair Lady I think in London that's where they met she was wonderful um, talk about discipline you know as a woman I mean Shirley passed away you know just not too long ago and sadly I couldn't go to the funeral because I was here but I took her to see her husband in a show while I was in New York which he was doing Dear World and and I took her and so I met her at the apartment beforehand and we had a glass of champagne and and then we went to the theater and it was just so special to still have that friendship after all those years that was 1986 we did cabaret together so
1: wow.
2: yeah it's beautiful and then chorus line was next I auditioned for a chorus line and was in the original production put that on we did I did the national tour of England playing Cassie Um,
0: Bale played Connie
2: she did originally yes and um, that was for me I wish I had that on film because I think at the time I was probably a bit young for the role actually I think I was only 25 something like 1,500 people auditioned for a chorus line the queue went all the way down St Martin's Lane all the way down to Trafalgar Square to audition for that show and first they gave me the script for Bibi Bensonheimer which did not surprise me at all because you know I'm not a beauty queen I'm not a you know. is that
0: dance 10 looks 3
2: no, no. Bibi's the one that's um uh, she's very shy uh, and she's the one that says "I my name's Bibi Bensonheimer and I know i got to change it she's the one that's sort of I don't know how to describe her, but she, I, didn't, I didn't expect anything more than that. Right. I thought that's perfect for me. Yep. But I was, I was a good dancer, yep. you know, a well-trained dancer. So then she came up to me and gave me the script for Cassie and said, can you learn this and come back tomorrow? And I remember walking out of there like it was the Holy Grail in my hands. I walked down right. all the way home on the train. I'm thinking, this is the most thrilling thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And I went back and, and read for Cassie and it was just like the show. We were all cast on the day everyone was being cut and then there was just a group of us left and we kind of looked at each other and realized there's only one cassie there's only one bobby there's only one zach and we realized what was happening and then bringing tears to my eyes just talking about yeah, it yeah. we all stood on stage and she said i just want to tell you all you just you're in the show
0: so was she choreographing or
2: yeah directing and choreographing right I- yeah.
0: um her own choreography or was it
2: choreography? she interprets that she, she does his work all over the has done all over the world ever since you know he passed away and then i was asked to do a radio version of it which included the script for the bbc it's out it's out there somewhere it's wonderful with all all the script and all the songs so i get a phone call saying would you do, like to do it for the bbc and I said, yeah, sure. And they said, so we want you to play Deanna Morales. And I said, oh, no, no, I didn't, I didn't play Deanna Morales. I played Cassie. They said, oh, well, Donna McKechnie's playing
1: Cassie. <laughs> <laughs> I said,
2: oh, all right, then. I'll, I'll, <laughs> That's fair I'll, enough. I'll do Deanna Morales then. <laughs> and she came over, and that was thrilling. And uh, actually, she mentions it in the book, because we were rehearsing one day, and she couldn't quite remember the tap routine. Even though she had been married to Michael Brecker, she's she's beautiful, absolutely beautiful woman, you know. And so I helped to learn, remember the steps, and so she mentions it in her book that moment that we had, where she was like, "You must remember the choreography." And yeah, it was beautiful, it was wonderful to hang out with her. You know, she was the original. Thrilling.
0: Thrilling. Um, I viewed on a Playbill website recently a a beautiful array of photos of you modeling your costumes for Anastasia. How important is costume to you in creating a performance?
2: I've gotten into quite a few rows about costumes, actually.
0: Oh, really? (laughs) I can't believe I'm
2: saying you because normally I'm very careful about what I say. I am, you know, but I have over the years, because I'm very particular about it. Yeah. Very.
0: Well, as a performer, you've got to feel, you've got to wear it like a second skin, don't you?
2: Yeah, and sometimes people will design something, and it's in their imagination, They, they might not be your body in particular that they, they're seeing when they're when they're drawing it. Your shape of your body. Now, my, my I've always found. I mean, I'm changing shape as we speak because, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm at that age, you know, where everything's sort of happening. But I've always had a sort of very um, kind of boyish body, you know, and I haven't had big boobs or, you know, very much a dance it's kind of a, an athletic kind of a body and so I, I, I do know the shapes and things that suit me and the lengths and I'm very aware of it um, and so at times I will get into quite deep discussion about what I'm wearing and if I don't feel that it's right or if I can't dance in it or I can't move in it and then when I went to New York, when um, William Ivy Long the designer came over to Australia to do Chicago, it was fascinating, you know because all he was doing was making black outfits for people that sound so simple but he was so aware of our bodies he would sit there and just look at our bodies you know for, for a couple of days and then I remember going into a room with him and him just having this black lycra fabric and he was just wrapping it around my body in different shapes and different angles to find what was the most flattering for my body it was just a black piece of lycra and if anyone can remember my costume it went straight across and the leather sort of patent leather straps very square on the shoulders and i had sleeves that were cut away it was very very unusual costume no one else has ever had that costume in chicago
0: i was going to say so he designed costumes for each new velma you didn't wear the bb new costume no yeah
2: mine was different Hmm. it was like she didn't have any sleeves it was slightly different and so he said to me i promise you no one will ever wear this costume it will only be you because and and also the wig the wig was designed by corinne day who is Australian. She was the wig uh, person on Chicago and would come up with something that would absolutely suit. My wig, wig became quite iconic actually, because I could have gone just for a BB new with short haircut, because i that's what I ended up having in real life. But that spiky kind of thing that they did, Annie Rykin absolutely loved it. You know, she just thought it was really fantastic. And as soon as she saw it, and she was so excited by the look, um, yeah, I, I, I do feel very strongly about it. Recently I did Funny Girl with Tim, I've worked with Tim Chappell a couple of times and I'm the same, you know, Tim and I, we've had moments and he's wonderful though because he, he's, he listens and we, 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 we talk through it and then we come up with the right look. When I did Funny Girl the second time a couple of years ago, you can imagine I was much older so I had to be very careful about the first few scenes. About you're, how you're I playing
0: a 17 year old aren't you the
2: wig was yeah. so important the costume yeah. was so important and i'm so glad you know like we had a few disagreements at the beginning but we came up with the right look because i thought i was going to be murdered on that show because of my age but you know she i was playing someone who ended up at that age so yes. anyway um yeah so you're
0: aging down Rather
2: I was aging down, yeah. which, is, yeah, which is sort of a which weird is a bit more difficult to yeah. do than aging up. Yeah. Absolutely, I, I had to do that in a movie actually a few years ago, which is harder because it's so much closer to you. I did surviving Georgia, a movie where I had to play myself in the past as well, and that was really hard. But it, they did a great job on that. Costumes are funny, you know. They they can. You know that old saying that you want you want to wear the costume, you don't want the costume to wear you, and that's true. Sometimes something that's a really bright colour or not a good shape, people aren't looking at you. They shouldn't notice, really, what you're wearing. They should
0: You're not going to give your best work, either, if you're not feeling confident.
2: Oh, no, absolutely and not. And content. That's right.
0: What about rep- repetition every night? H- how do you prevent yourself from going insane?
2: Yeah, I'm okay with that, actually. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, kind I of mean, like...
0: Because you're doing, sometimes, a two-year, three-year run.
2: You know, perhaps because my first show, I was in a contract for so long. You know, when I did... Um, well, the one in the West End, obviously, as I told you, I ended up doing at least 12 months on that. Um, maybe it's just because that's what I expected of, of, of shows. That's the way I had been told shows operate. You sign a contract for a year and that's what you do. Sadly, in Australia, they quite often don't run for that length of time. In fact, it's become quite habitual that they just do like a 10-week run in a huge venue. It seems to be something that they're doing now that to me isn't what it's supposed to be all about. No. It's supposed to be... Uh, Probably a more intimate setting for a longer period of time and then people can be employed a bit longer as well you know it's not making a lot of money fast it's not about that but anyway that's my little preach about that but yes the repetition I like I like perfecting something and if I get it if if it gets a laugh or if there's a pause or you can hear a pin drop or the, the kick was better or you did an extra turn I like that that I can improve on it every night it does I don't get bored
0: Do you have an opening night ritual?
2: Yeah, I run around the stage a lot to get rid of that excess nervous energy that you don't need. You know that that hyper opening night thing? I find if I go for a little run around backstage up and down the wings, I just get rid of that excess that I don't need. I bless myself, it used to be once, now it's about three or four times before I go on. that's you, about it
0: are you a religious person no no, no. it's just
2: no. no I'm not but it's just something I started when I was young because I've always went well
0: to it's a, it's become a show superstition I suppose it's something that yeah, yeah. you do to I
2: do get upset when people you know will say certain words in the dressing room that they shouldn't say you know I just think oh because I wonder if there is something about it that you should be careful, you know. Not there's certain this, words, you know. Like what the I mean. Scottish play, correct?
1: And, yeah. all that sort of thing like. and
2: also whistling in the dressing room. Yeah. You know, I don't like that either. Yeah. In England, they used to make people go outside, spin around three times, knock on the door, and they'd have to ask to come back in. Yeah.
0: Do you know that yes, tradition? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I like that. Just like, to
0: dispel the, the yeah, curse. The curse that, curse might have that just happened. Yeah. 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 Um, have you got? This, I usually ask everybody, have you got an interesting audition story? I know that you probably have, which I'd love you to tell me. This is about Hello Dolly.
2: Oh, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. I, excuse me. I'd just literally gotten the job for Anastasia. I'd found out that I had gotten the job. Um, and I'd love to tell you about that briefly as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but um, I get a message. Well, Barry's been managing, my husband's been managing me, you know, for quite a number of years now, probably at least 15, 17 years, something like that. I've lost track. But he said, you'll never believe what happened today. You've got an email today. It's really interesting. And it's from um, the producers of Hello Dolly for you to go and audition to understudy Bette Midler to do an audition. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is a joke. He goes, no, (laughs) absolutely not. You're meeting with Jerry Zaks and you're meeting um, Warren Carlyle and there'll be uh, the casting directors and there will be other producers in the room and they're going to film you and they're going to send it to Jerry Herman, who of course I knew and who knew me, me. yeah. Yeah. So um, that was amazing. I had to learn um, about three songs from the show and about three scenes it was quite a lot actually and I was in Hartford Connecticut at the time that's right so I had to I had to um, oh, so sorry, sorry I've lost my train of thought I had to travel to New York in a day and then come back and do the show or rehearsal it was so yeah he was so kind I did the scene and he directed me he stood up and told me to relax and Habi wanted the scene to go. The scene, you know, where she finds the the leaf in the... And in she the talks door. to her dead she husband. She talks to her dead husband. Ephraim. Let me, let me go, Horace. That scene, which is beautiful. And, of course, I couldn't wait to do that one. That was the one in particular. And I felt, I felt like it went quite well. You know, I was quite happy with it. And then he said, let me just help you with this. And I just want you to do... Take it right, right, right back. Just right back as far as you can possibly go. And... I left the room and I said, if I don't do anything ever again, that was one of the most thrilling things that's ever happened to me because they, they did it with such respect. And unless and some people complain about auditions, I, I hear it. And I do wonder, because I haven't done that many auditions of late and I hear that sometimes I feel like people feel like they're not being treated with respect. Yes. And I'm sure that it happens. And it just felt like the most wonderful, like what our art form is all about. That attention to detail and the care and the how important it was—that's what it just felt like a really significant moment in my life and um, my career that someone would take the trouble to be that gentle and caring about what happened in the audition. So, needless to say, I didn't get it.
1: Donna but Murphy got it. Donna
2: you? Murphy got it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think if you're going to get someone to go on for Bet Midley, you need someone who's won a Tony. Yeah. And so, you know, there were plenty of other people. But what a compliment. I just felt like it was such a compliment to Absolutely, even be considered, be even considered yeah. for it. You know, so that was thrilling. And, and Anastasia was interesting because I, I got a message um, out of the blue again uh, where they were looking. They'd already done a tri- out-of-town tryout but they wanted somebody, as I said before, who was older, who could dance they were interested in that. So I was going to America around the same time as the audition and I said, is there any way I can be seen then? And they said, no, the creative team might be around. So if you could come I, you know, back. So I was gonna go home and then come back. And I said, oh, well, that's very expensive, you know, to do that trip in such a short time. I said, is there any way I could maybe send you a video? And then if you're seriously interested, then I will, I will do that. I will go to the expense of it. And so, I made a video on my lounge room Barry filmed it and played the, all the other characters and sent the video off and waited to hear and a, about two or two weeks later maybe I got a phone call to say oh don't worry about coming we're going to want to offer you the job just from the, from the video wow
0: That's because they're very
2: they know exactly they what, know they, exactly want exactly what they want in yeah, America and they, they don't do it? a lot of stunt casting which I find really uh, wonderful like they, you can go and see shows and you've never heard of a person but they're absolutely right for the show uh, they don't need to do that they don't need to do that to sell tickets they know that the entire show has to be good has to be right
0: do you read reviews
2: not anymore
1: No.
2: I used to I don't anymore I don't know I go by what the audience does and this for me I've always felt that way all I care about is the audience's response so I don't. Unless someone says, "Oh, it's really good," you got to read it. You know what I mean? Then I then I'll read it.
0: Why? Because you've just encountered too many negative or no, badly been, written? Or I, I
2: think I've been very fortunate. I, yeah, I find it a bit frustrating sometimes. I'll read it and I think they're just telling the story of the show rather than you know, any constructive any anything. We don't. Comet. We we can read the story of the show anywhere. Just be more be more specific, or maybe talk more about. Sometimes I don't even mention the music or the MD or the costumes or the lighting. Sometimes I don't even mention that stuff. It's just about the performances and it gets two paragraphs. And you think, yes. well, how can anybody know really what the show is about? Yes, true. So, yeah, I just don't find it very informative, I suppose. That's all it is. And I'm not being you know, rude to critics out there. Trust me, I just don't think it's helpful to my performance, especially if it's negative. It's not going to be helpful.
0: I guess there's a great deal of responsibility in leading a company on stage and off. You've got to balance your responsibility to the production in maintaining your energy and leading by example, fostering a happy company and delivering eight shows a week. Is it tough to lead a company?
2: Yeah, I think so. But I think you just lead it by example, don't you? Yeah. You know, you just have to do... This. Yeah, I think it is important to to be a good example to the rest of the company when it comes to your discipline, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've never really experienced I've n- not had any experiences where I've been terribly disappointed with people I've worked with that have been leads when I was younger because yeah. I, I, it is huge you know no, and it's not equal when you, when you have that responsibility it's not the same as everybody else it isn't. No. You're under an, an, an enormous amount of the
0: pressure. The show's riding on you, really.
1: And, and you your really name's
2: like. up there a lot of yeah. the time. And so it, it is a huge responsibility. But yes, I do. And I think... I, I, I'm just one of those people. I, I Eight shows a week. I, I, I can't help it. I hate missing... I'm very old-fashioned that way. I just I hate missing a show. It upsets me terribly if I have to. I've had a couple of incidents where, like, Man of La Mancha, I had a bad fall. I had an injury. I had to leave the show for about six weeks in recovery. And that broke my heart. You mm. know, it was um, it was a terrible situation. Mm. Uh, and also because of the injury was so severe at the time, the back injury, that I wasn't sure if I'd be able to dance again. Or, it, walking was difficult at the mm. time. You know, I cracked a bone and so I was in serious trouble. So, yeah, that was hard. Um,
0: I love that you've embraced social media. Um, I'm talking about Lily's joke of the day. I wish I kept
2: that going, actually, Lily's joke of the day, because that was funny. I... And it wasn't joke of the day at all it was sometimes it was joke of the fortnight you
0: know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it just became a but you found time to broadcast something to everybody who was hanging on for the next
2: <laughs> but did you notice it was sort of ca- a character it wasn't particularly oh absolutely me. Do you know wasn't what you. I mean? no 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 yeah no, absolutely. i, I think you were that's doing
0: your vaudeville what sort
2: of shtick yeah, yeah it's funny that it's not me going hi this is me backstage and i just i find it hard you to,
0: prefer to hide behind a character i guess I, I do you find so. it tough being yourself
2: i do yeah yeah i do I find it hard, yeah. It, it's, it makes my life so much easier to not have to do that, you know. The, this characterful stuff is... I don't know why. But anyway, yes, I used to do that. And it was very popular. And it was an accident because Chrissy Altamar, who was our leading lady, does this... She does it a lot, you know, social media. And she just wanted all of us to do something whenever she would present. And I happened to have a tambourine in my dressing room because I was rehearsing a show. I was doing a show called My Perfect Year at 54 Below. It was just a two-night presentation of it that Stephen and Lynn had asked me to do. And I was playing the Andrea Martin role. And I, so I had a number in it where to use a tambourine. I would bought one on eBay, so it was in the dressing room. And so that's how that happened to be in the joke of the day. And she said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'll just tell a joke. That's what I'll do. That'll, that'll been, be my thing. You've just been
0: doing the duck joke too, haven't you? I had <laughs> my perfect year. That's my it. favourite year. Yeah. I'll
2: yeah. yeah. oh, say. did I say my perfect year? I always say That's that. That's right. My favourite my year. My favourite year. But it
0: is a perfect show. There you go.
2: So it's, it's a fabulous year. show. Yeah. 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 Um, Another fabulous show that that maybe they should consider doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I yeah. think so. Push for that. Um, so I hope you continue Lily's joke of the day or whoever when you're doing the rise and fall of Little Voice and spider I know, I should pick and, it up again. Yeah, yeah. I'll
2: do it in character as Mary. People are hanging out for it. Yes, I think yeah, so. A yeah, yeah, yeah. new character. Oh, rien de
1: rien. Oh, je ne regrette rien. Ils ont bien comme a fait. What's it like
0: playing iconic figures who are sometimes, you know, have had tragic lives like Edith Piaf and Judy Garland? It's exhausting. And yeah,
2: I can't even tell you right. how exhausting it is. It's the hardest thing in the world because also because they were so brilliant. You know, there'll never be anybody like those people. And those particular women, especially their voices were so brilliant. And of course I'm not an impersonator at all. I don't have that talent, Um, but I I like to do the phrasing that they do, the breathing that they do. I, I kind of try to mimic that or replicate that. So it's a lot of study. For Piaf I had to go to a, I went to a French tutor for four months before I started rehearsals to learn the songs in French, because I don't speak a word of French.
0: So you learned it phonetically, really, I guess. I it phonetically, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So I went to, uh, what happened was, Adam Cook asked me if I wanted to do, what show would you like to do? And I said Piaf, and then I realized afterwards, my God, what are you thinking? You don't even speak French. And so, because I'd put it out there, I had to do my homework, a lot of homework in advance. But I was filming Moulin Rouge at the time, so I had a lot of time on my hands. You know, you spend a lot of time uh, waiting to go on set, so it was a really good period for me to, to do a lot of homework in advance. Judy Garland, I'd never touched before because I wouldn't even sing anything of hers at an audition because the voice is so spectacular.
0: It's like Streisand, isn't
2: it? Yeah, I, don't, I remember auditioning for Cats and they asked me to sing Memory at the audition and I said, oh, that's a joke. I said, I'm sorry, I don't sing anything that Barbra Streisand's recorded.
1: <laughs> and Of course, I didn't get the job
2: either. But, but I, I just was terrified to sing anything by them. You just be compared, and mm. there's no compa- comparison, you know, with those they people. They put a
0: so, definitive stamp on the
2: Absolutely, and so yeah, so that it's really hard, and also because it is so tragic, and particularly with Garland, because I did that for a lot longer than Piaf. It got to a point where my husband said, "Please don't bring her home anymore."
0: Right. Okay.
2: Because I was getting into the vibe of being that very upset, tragic, exhausted kind of person i was i was i was living it nightly and it was very difficult
0: Again, as a performer as a great performer i suppose it gets into your bones doesn't it for the that season of the show and you start picking up those idiosyncrasies that you're employing you, in and you performance. really
2: yeah. you don't mean to yeah. you don't realize that it's happening but you do because also you have to take it that seriously because of the responsibility of representing that person. Yeah, it's the
0: muscle memory and you're training your physicality and...
2: Yeah, yeah like with yeah. Pia, for instance. Emotions. There was a thing, you know, she had very bad arthritis, shocking arthritis. And I was like, I could you know, walk around, you know, looking like I've got claws. You know, I didn't really know how to... What to do? I didn't realize that she used to sing, you know, with her hands behind her back and all that because of the arthritis. I, I did all this research and found out stuff. She was hiding her hands because they were because oh, of the I way they looked, yeah. you know, and the, the uniform, the black uniform that she wore. And you know, we had furniture made slightly bigger so that when I and the costumes made, I was very tiny at the time. But we had the costumes made slightly bigger and the furniture bigger so that I looked smaller. You know, there was tricks that we had, and I used to hold little foam balls in my hand when I rehearsed the show. So that I got used to my hands being always sort of slightly in a claw sort of yeah, shape. Yeah. And then when I removed the balls, I had already gotten into the habit of doing the scenes that way and even dialing phones. and You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I love that part of the rehearsal process. So it is difficult. And Ethel Merman, the same. That happened very quickly because I, I got that job two days before. Th- no, what am I saying? About a week before I started filming I got that job so they were looking for another Sony artist everybody on that recording is a Sony artist if you because you're wondering why are those people in it you know in the film
0: because they're in the stable there yeah and they
2: were involved with making the film I was the only person that probably wasn't a Sony artist but they were they were looking at all sorts of pop stars but then they thought, actually, to get that Ethel Merman thing, we need someone who really does sound like Ethel Merman. So it was important. It was the opening night of Anything Goes, you know, with Cole Port. It was a very important scene. So I got that job, and then I didn't get time, you know. Suddenly I was in fittings, and I was learning choreography, and I didn't get the time to really study her enough.
1: Hold me close and hold me fast This magic spell you cast It is Rose. When you kiss me, heaven sighs, and though I close my eyes, I see love. Yours. When Into love songs, you gave your heart and soul to me, and life will always be love.
0: So fantastic to see that you're about to do um, the I rise and fall of a little voice, a little voice. Would you like to do more straight theatre?
2: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't get the opportunities because I, I, we've always had a bit of a stigma, you know. Yes, so, music- do you think
0: people are pigeonholed and they just see you as a musical theatre? Without a doubt, yeah.
2: Without a doubt, I the only film roles I've ever been involved things apart from Surviving Georgia, which was uh, produced by Spencer McLaren who I did West Side Story with, he knew. He, he knows that it's a passion for me. It just acting is a passion for me. But um, unless it's got dancing in it, in some capacity, I don't normally get it looking or singing, nothing. It's like Carlotta, for instance, that I did, was because she was a choreographer.
1: Right.
2: You know, so um, I would love to do more. I, at one stage, I thought I'd like to do maybe some Shakespeare, but I think it's much... You can't just say that. You know, it's much harder than it looks. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very particular talent i think to to pull that off and i don't know that i am suited to that now in hindsight well
0: it's like a great shakespearean actor saying oh, i'd love to do what Caroline connor does
2: you know, uh, well, lead you know. a
0: musical or something
2: yeah um maybe but
0: you know and unless you're given the chance
2: yeah. yeah i mean this this role um i'm sean sean Rennie is directing me in this and this role is it's pretty perfect for me i thought you know I'm looking at it and I'm going, it doesn't scare me. What scares me is, once again, is the amount of learning that I have to do, as always. It's, you know, quite often the script, this script is enormous for me. Because, you know, Little Voice doesn't really say much. No, (laughs)
1: Mum does all the talking. Yeah,
2: she does a bit of singing, but she doesn't say much. So I do most of the talking. Um, But as you can tell from this interview, I I do tend to be a bit of a chatterbox anyway, so I'll probably be all right. (laughs) For
1: once in my life, I have someone who needs me Someone I've needed so long For Once in my life I can go where life leads me Somehow I know I'll be strong For once I can touch what my heart used to dream of Long before I knew someone more Make my dreams come true.
0: Did you yeah, we talked about your husband briefly. He's been managing you for the last 17 years, at least, or maybe
2: whatever. more. I don't know. I can't keep track. But yeah. But
0: I've heard you describe meeting uh, Barry as more love at first sound than sight. Yes, it's about true. That? Well, yeah. we
2: both we were both working on cabaret, and I I used to be backstage. You know. Um, listening to the tannoy talk about
0: fate again so if you got stuck in me and my girl i would never met, met my never husband. Met barry
2: yeah. no yeah. Isn't that funny so yeah i was listening to the town and he used to play this really gorgeous saxophone solo in maybe this time because he was lead sax um lead reed chair and then he used to play a fabulous clarinet solo in the in the song cabaret and so i asked my girlfriends if anybody knew who the guy was that plays those and they said oh that's barry and then he came in early one day to clean his instruments, if you'll excuse the expression. And uh, he listened to me doing an understudy call and he heard me singing Sally Bowles. And he asked his friends, Does anybody know who the girl is that's understudying Sally Bowles? And we had never seen each other, but we were very interested in, in meeting each other. And it took a couple of weeks and we went to one of those Friends of the Theatre evenings. We were on tour and walked towards each other, a bit like the scene in West Side Story.
1: It literally
2: gym. was like that. Yep. And just said is it are you Barry Are you can yeah that's how we met it was literally like that and I think we've been pretty much together from that moment we met we've been inseparable
0: but you've worked together as well which is
2: fantastic we have he's, he's played in the pit a lot yeah. um, well on stage too because that's what musicians do now they're on the stage with us a lot of the time but he yeah he's done a lot of shows well he'd done a lot of shows in England before I met him you see so he he'd been doing you know concerts and recordings and musicals for years before i met barry and then of course i dragged him here to australia and he absolutely loves you know being here and working here so yeah he still plays you know he talks about retiring every now and again but he still enjoys it so
0: would you like to direct or choreograph a show
2: i have a passion deep down somewhere for it but i just don't think i could deal with (laughs) the actors (laughs) i just don't i don't know that i could Really? Yes. I, Even
0: though you, you you you'd like to give it a go,
2: I, I have a, a desire deep down.
0: Is that you destroying your confidence there, self-doubting?
2: Maybe I. Because I just. I, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to. I've done a few masterclasses over the years. Not many. I really don't do it very often. I'm thinking about doing more. I'm thinking about maybe at some stage doing a a lot of them, just because I just think there's a lot. Stuff, stuff I could maybe share maybe help people with when they're trying to get into a role or an accent or a character and because that's what I love to do that they're the sorts of things that I love so I have done and sometimes I just see especially like, I hate to say it but sometimes I've been in a room with students and there's such a disinterest at times that I find it very you know <sighs> disheartening yep. to see this sort of vagueness of not really being engaged, being engaged in mm. it that i just don't think that it's too hard this yep. business to not yep. be completely committed and i think as a as a director you've got you've got to also be some kind of a psychiatrist or you you've got to have a way of dealing people with people to get what you want
0: yes manipulating the, the per, various personalities which come into that room
2: and that's what Having worked with so many different directors over the years and so many different choreographers over the years that I have, you know, a huge list of people and writers, every single person is different. Every time I do a show with a different director, it's a completely different experience. Yeah. Some are fast. Some want to block first, act later. Some are round the table for a week. Gary Griffin, I did, who did Colour Purple on Broadway, I did Follies with him in Chicago. I don't think I got onto the stage for like days you know what I mean just walking just finding a way to walk on shall we come on from that side or shall we that side no try that side try over the oh my god I was like oh my god this is <laughs> I, I can't even get on to say anything yet you know but that's their way of working everybody's so different yeah and I think a lot of people assume that there's a sort of book on how I sometimes I know people don't like when they do shows where the, the, the direction is replicated and i can understand that to a point but you know how much work's gone into working out the best way to do that scene yeah and so when they do come over and do that show they've spent hours and days and you know trying to work out the best entrance the best line reading the best so in some respects you kind of have to take that on board they've yeah. tried every option you know when they write a show so yeah i'd like to have a go
1: yeah
2: i'd love to see what it would be like you know to to work with actors maybe i should just do a workshop or something and see what happens
1: yeah
0: i hope so yeah
2: it'd be good wouldn't it just give it a go and i would probably end up going home crying <laughs> <laughs> the actors get angry with me i'll be like i can't do it i can't do it
0: <laughs> just just to finish off let's talk about the the other big uh project that you're working on at the end of the year the mtc melbourne theatre company oh, gosh. because of the spider woman that must be a role that's been on your radar for a long time
2: it really is yeah, yeah it's it's been there it's been there uh, ever since i saw it i saw Cheetah Rivera do it in the west end because she did it in the west end before she did it on broadway actually oh, if really? I, I i you know correct me if i'm wrong but right. that's what i recall and um of course i adore her and she's she, speaking of inspirations she would have be definitely one of my inspirations. Have you met her? Have you worked with Oh, yes, her? So I've met her several times. I've never done right. a show with her, but I've met her several times. Right. In fact, when I did The Rink recently, she came and did a wonderful little promo video with me, handing over the Anna Baton, you know, sort of introducing me as the Anna that would be in, um, in London, which was very generous of her. It's beautiful. So, wow.
0: Fate as well. This is, we've had a lot of this today. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but Spider Woman would be the third Cheetah Rivera role that you've done yes valma ca- kelly Val the rink and spider woman yeah
2: i'm basically getting through the cheetah Rivera library she did the visit recently <laughs> too so i've got my eye on that and she also did a show that i love which is the mystery of edwin drood she did that on broadway a few years ago yeah. and i've always wanted to do that too yeah. i would love to play the the role that cleo lane played
0: the wages of sin
2: crime don't pay that's what i tell them you know i absolutely love that character too so um yes cheetah amazing Wonderful woman, I met with her. We had lunch not too long ago. Uh, while I, when I first started, Anastasia. Uh, oh, lunch was it lunch? No, it was just sort of a little meet up, actually, a little a meet and greet thing. Uh, yeah, Terence McNally too. When you think about it, the rink, Anastasia, Kiss of the Spider Woman. I said to him recently, "I'm going to do all of your shows. I'm going to do A Man of No Importance. I'm going <laughs> to because I love him. He's written so many musicals, yeah, right? That's great. Um, that is fate, isn't it? And also that we both, you know, we both, we both did Anita. And I suppose the first time I heard her do Chicago, uh, that really, we're going to sort of end probably where I started. Chicago had such an enormous impact on me listening to her, because I had the cassette, listening to her version of Velma Kelly, that had a huge impact on me. It was a bit like when I heard Ethel Merman doing Mama Rose, the characterfulness of it on the soundtrack was enormous, had an enormous impact on me. How important it was to sound like that person. So, yeah, that's that's coming up, and that's going to be a lot of work. Dean Bryant is directing it, and it's they're doing a quite a long run actually. We're doing a, a slightly longer, I think, than they normally do. Are you touring,
0: or it'll just stay Melbourne? No, at this right. point, it's
2: just Melbourne Theatre Company, and uh, it'll be quite a bit of dancing. So here we go again. You so know, is that November? We start rehearsals in October of next so year. So when we,
0: when when do you, when were you going to training? For that oh
2: week? right, okay, probably. I reckon that I will probably start maybe August, you know, a couple of months before. I find, you know, when I go in the rehearsal room, though, it, it, because I've danced all my life, my body has this sort of muscle memory thing that it happens, that once I start to work out, it's sort of, mind you, I'm older now, so it's not going to be as easy, but it does seem to respond quite well to once I start dancing again. Andrew Horsworth is choreographing that, who did Anything Goes. So. And we have a great working relationship, so it'll be a new production. It won't be the one that they did on Broadway. It's gonna be all new in Dean's vision. And Terence is very excited about it, yeah. Will he, he come
0: out to see it with think? I would
2: love that if he did, but you know, I don't know. He's t- he still writes. He's still so busy, but it would be wonderful if he did. I'll keep him I'll keep him up to date with what's going on. But yeah, I'm very I'm very much looking forward to that. And then maybe I'll get that year off afterwards. You never know.
0: You know, fingers crossed. Mm. <laughs> Caroline, thanks for um, for chatting. It's gone so quickly. Have you had a good time?
2: I've had an amazing time. I, I know I'm. I sound a bit hyperactive, and I do get a bit excited when I talk about you know work and stuff. I I, I do. My whole energy changes, and I, I, I just feel so fortunate, so incredibly grateful and fortunate that I do what I do, and that I that I'm still enjoying it as much, you know, that I that I haven't lost any of my passion or love for it. So it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you very much.
0: Season 2 of Stages is off and running. We talk to creatives about their career, process and what matters to them. There are 24 episodes available from Season 1, so why don't you take a look and better still, have a listen. Stages is available through iTunes, Spotify and our hosting platform, Wooshka. Always entertaining, our guests deliver terrific anecdotes, fascinating observations and brilliant history. I'm Peter Ayers. Thanks for listening to this episode. See you next time on stages. To the